Hi, this is Jay of the Dead, the host of Horror Movie Podcast. I hope this isn't your first time listening to our show because the audio quality for this episode is far below our usual high standards. This week I'm away from my home studio, so I had to record this podcast with the only subpar methods available to me. So if this is your first time listening to Horror Movie Podcast, just do me a favor and go listen to any of the previous 22 episodes. But if you're one of our faithful veteran listeners, then I would encourage you to stick it out and endure it anyway because episode 23 is still filled with some good horror content. Our sound will be back to normal next time, so my apologies and thanks for listening. Hi and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 23. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Moundsville, West Virginia, And even though our sound quality isn't up to par for this episode, we're happy to bring you all four official hosts of Horror Movie Podcast. This may be the first time ever in history. And so we welcome uh, Wolfman Josh Legary. Hey, Jay. How's it going? First and last time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hopefully not. But welcome, Josh. And we welcome back Dr. Shock from his vacation. Yes, thank you. Good to be back. Nice. And then Not good to be off vacation, but good to be back. Yeah, I gotcha. And then the author of American Zombie Gothic and our fourth official co-host on this podcast, he is Dr. Walking Dead, Kyle Bishop. Hey, it's good to be here broadcasting from my own basement. <laughs> nice. So I just want to say congratulations to Dr. Shock, who reached his four-year anniversary on DVD Infatuation. That's quite a big accomplishment, Dave. We're proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I was... uh, It snuck up on me because I I just was uh, sitting there. I was on vacation. I'm looking. I'm saying, I think I started it around this time. And I looked and I happened to look on the day that I started it uh, (laughs) seven years... Four years earlier. Yeah, August 7th. I was... uh, But it doesn't seem like four years. It doesn't and then it kind of does. Wow, you know, sort of at the same time, but uh, I Movie still have a, good... a day. That's crazy. Every single day for four years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I still got a, I still got a few more to go uh, uh, before I finally, uh, finally reach it. But um, I'm starting to get to the point now where I don't even know if I can stop at 2,500. Yeah, you, you know, can. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna change the name of the blog or anything, but. Um, yeah, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm going to actually stop there. Well, you have to wait until DVD is in extinct format, at least. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, I might have to, might have to keep going for that, right? <laughs> All right. Well, we're glad to have the whole crew here. This is awesome, and and due to our reduced audio quality and my being in West Virginia, this will be a little bit shorter episode. However, we're going to bring you quality over quantity this time so uh the first thing we're gonna do is jump into our review of doc of the dead and that features our co-host kyle bishop he's actually in the documentary itself as a talking head zombie expert and that's our main event 
and then we'll wrap up with a couple of smaller segments after we let Kyle go. And uh, that, that's it. So let's jump into this week's feature review of Doc of the Dead. You don't negotiate with a zombie. You can't talk a zombie out of wanting to eat you. You can't say, hey, go around the corner. There's a family of five getting in a Winnebago. Like, you can eat all five of them. Zombies are definitely part of mainstream culture now. I mean, there can hardly be anybody left who hasn't seen a zombie movie by now. Kill the brain. Kill the brain. The first zombie walk was amazing. You're just walking through the streets, and people would look out their window and, like, close their curtains. I've been to Mexico City, and 5,000 zombies showed up. And I can't get any of these people to answer the basic question of why do you do it? Well, you can't celebrate life without celebrating death. The first thing I want to tell people here is that Doc of the Dead is currently streaming on Netflix Watch Instantly. And this movie is not to be confused with Document of the Dead, which is something that I did initially from 1989. And um, Dave, you tell them about Document of the Dead real fast so they can make the distinction in case they don't uh, know. That's the um, the behind the scenes, I believe, is the one, the, the behind the scenes of um, yes. Dawn, uh, Dawn of the Dead. Yes. The making of Dawn of the Dead and later on a couple... I think what was the one? I think they they delved into um, two evil eyes. Two evil eyes, right? Hit the segment he did for um, the George Romero did for two evil eyes. The one he did with um, uh, Dario Argento. Yes, and and I'll bet you five bucks that Wolfman Josh will scold me for this. I don't know. I don't know his stance on this, but I bet you has a stance. I I don't believe that Doc of the Dead has been officially rated by the MPAA. But I would personally probably call it a very mild R rating, just for the record. What do you think of that, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I think just the fact that you've got these movie clips alone, probably just for gore, would be rated R by the MPAA. But, yeah, I mean, there's nothing too offensive here by any stretch, yeah. other than Max Brooks. Max Brooks is probably the most offensive thing in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Okay, Kyle, so kick it off with you here. Since we're, since you were directly involved with this documentary, of course, we won't ask you to rate it unless you just want to later, but uh, we would like to know how you came to be a part of this film. Yeah, it was uh, kind of a, a cool story um, because I am located in a small town in the middle of the desert. I don't have a whole lot of opportunities uh, for that kind of exposure and, and participation but the guys who made this movie and they're the same ones who did the somewhat infamous people versus george lucas that got some attention a few years back mm-hmm. uh they're based in denver and they were heading down to la because uh the documentary includes many interviews with celebrities uh famous people unlike myself and so if you drive from denver to la you just happen to drive through cedar city and uh, these guys were yeah. dialed in enough on the scholarship to be aware of some of my articles in my book. And they just kind of gave me a call and said, hey, we're going to be driving through your town. Do you mind if we stop by and interview you? And I, of course, said, absolutely. Why don't you, why don't you come on by? And uh, it was kind of fun because it was just two of them. So it was kind of guerrilla filmmaking. And they, they didn't have their full equipment. They had two cameras and some lighting rigs and the sound stuff. And uh, they wanted to film... I, I wanted to go over to my office because I had these ideals of, you know, Discovery Channel 
where you have all the professor's books in the background. Mm. And it's, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm wearing a tie in the documentary. I think I'm the only one in the entire documentary wearing a tie. Uh, <laughs> but they wanted to come down into my basement where, uh, so we could get some unfinished uh, foot. Uh, kind of the background would be the exposed studs and the, the drywall. And so we came down to the basement, and, and they wanted to set up with the worst part of my house as the background, which is, which is fine. Um, and <laughs> one thing that, that we kind of celebrated, my family, is they really dug my daughter's rocking horse. Yeah. And, and so there's some footage <laughs> early in the documentary of a shadow of a rocking horse. And so that's, that's my daughter's rocking that's horse, a, which is... I think that's over your introduction in the film. It starts with yeah. this- creepy rocking horse shot <laughs> yeah so that's 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 my rocking horse and uh they asked me some questions and and i was really concerned about not being too stuffy and not too overly academic and um i'd never been interviewed on camera before so i was a little worried about you know i'll be honest i was a little worried about my appearance and where i was looking and and uh it's all impromptu responses i i didn't have the questions beforehand wow so we talked we talked for a while and i just kind of shot from the hip and then they left. And so me being the cynic that I am thought, ah, they're going to cut all that. Uh, they're not going to use any of the footage. Because, uh, you know, time went by and, and Josh can give us some insight as to how long it sometimes takes to produce these things. So I kind of thought, well, I haven't heard anything. And, and then when I finally heard it's going to come out, they're going to premiere it at South by Southwest. I thought, well, maybe I've got, you know, a couple of 30 second sound bites in there. Um, and then I was pleasantly surprised to find that they had actually used quite a bit of what I had to say. So that was very complimentary. Yes. Smart, huh, Josh? Absolutely. And I think, honestly, I think you're my favorite interview in the movie. I don't, I, that's not just bias. I think, um, same you and you and Arnold <laughs> yeah. Bloomberg, I think, yeah. um, that have been wise to include a lot more from you guys and less of some of the stuff about like the zombie walks and things like that <laughs> yeah. well, arnold knows a lot uh arnold co-wrote the zombie mania encyclopedia which predates my book and uh i i'm twitter friends with him and and uh, we we appeared at denver comic-con together and the dude is encyclopedic he remembers every movie and every detail and everything that's going on um, and he's he's quite a uh, extensive podcaster in his own right. So to, the fans uh, of this show and who like the documentary should definitely look Arnold up. He's he's a wise man. And I know we actually have a lot of our listeners you know, that I'm in touch with on Twitter are also following him on Twitter. So I think his the name the words getting out about him for sure. Yeah. But yeah, you did a great job, Kyle. I was I was really impressed um, with your stuff as usual. Yeah. As usual, but I, I would have liked to would have only liked to have heard more. Right, agreed. In fact, Josh, I think you should just not just set up a camera. You can do all the artistic stuff you wish because I learned recently that that's important. And Josh, film just Kyle talking about zombies. What do you yeah. think? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I just ramble on and on. <laughs> well, I mean, give me, I 30, give me thirty minutes to bag on zombie romance novels, and we'll have something. Mm. that's one of the things that slightly annoys me about um the way the film is positioned at least on in the online advertising it probably has nothing to do necessarily with the film itself or the filmmakers but it's billed as the definitive documentary 
right on zombies and i think come on this is like an introductory right. <laughs> documentary on zombies. Right. you know we it could be a series like uh we've been discussing uh, the story of film an odyssey on uh on movie podcast weekly and and i can imagine an ongoing series of uh zombie discussions hosted by yourself and and the other professor there <laughs> yeah i geez i would love to do that if i didn't have all these stupid papers to grade yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, when you when you retire from your position, let's let's do a web series. <laughs> Absolutely. So, there you go. So, if you were to um, just kind of give the premise of this documentary, then Kyle, it, it seems like we've talked about it, but just tell the listeners what they can expect from Doc of the Dead. Yeah, well, well, Josh is absolutely right. It's it's really kind of uh, it's kind of zombies one hundred and one. And in a lot of ways, it replicates some of the stuff I cover in my book, but it does it with more celebrities and film clips. And, and so it is, it is kind of polished in that regard. Uh, but it really is, uh, for hardcore fans of zombie movies, they're going to know a lot of this stuff. And so I wouldn't say go to the documentary to get a deep understanding of, of the, the films, but it's entertaining. It's entertaining, I think, for the people who already are in the know. It really is designed and kind of marketed to the what's this zombie craze all about? Right. Uh, what are zombies? Why are people watching them? When did they start? Where did they come from? And so I am glad that it covers the voodoo aspect, which is not always uh, deter- discussed. That was actually so, great. Yeah, that was yeah. good, and and they have my uh, my good friend Sarah Laura on there, who's who's pretty much the leading expert in the world right now on the Haitian voodoo zombie and and uh, Haitian mythology. So she's on there, and that's great. There are a couple of things though. It, it doesn't get into some of the more obscure texts. It doesn't delve into the critical side. I mean, they do like to d- debate. Fast versus slow and live versus dead, which which we've all talked about before, and they completely ignore international films, uh, which I do too in my book, and I've been criticized for that. But my book mm. technically is titled American Zombie right. Gothic, so <laughs> I, I think I'm pretty clear that I'm only looking at American cinema. This right. film, because it is marketed as kind of the definitive film, really should have had a segment on the Italian films, especially Fulci, uh, oh, yeah. and some of the some of the international stuff that's coming out now. Now, I think it would be uh, excellent to have a, a follow-up, which would be a little bit more expansive. But that, that's kind of the basics. And uh, for the most part, you should you should go out and stream it and watch it so you can figure out what I look like, because I think that's what really matters. <laughs> they did touch on 28 Days Later long enough to say that it's not a zombie movie, so that was fun. Right, which is such a great argument. But, yeah. but uh, you know, I do want to mention on that, I even have a clip for this. Uh, one person actually uh, argues the other way in this film, which I love. That kind of made me happy. Anybody that argues that because something is alive can't be a zombie obviously doesn't remember the history about voodoo zombies and how it all started. So I count the infected. Even though Danny Boyle would say he didn't make a zombie movie, but I'm sorry, he's wrong. He actually made a zombie movie. Hmm. Just, was that Arnold? You know, one of my great was. one of my great failings mm-hmm. is I forgot to write down who was speaking in the clip, so I'm sorry to everybody. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> but you're right. <laughs> you're right about that. But I love that because I have just recently come to terms with the fact that okay, there are infected movies and there are zombie movies because I used to be a guy who argued that not not that it matters really, but anyway. I love that, but but Dave, I, Doctor Shark, I want to turn it to you and just see what you thought of this documentary. 
Oh, I, I really enjoyed it. See, I, I'm, uh, I like documentaries, and I really enjoy documentaries that are uh, sort of movie-centric. So I knew going in that I was going to I was going to have a good time with this one. I did like that they went back and they, I mean even the mention of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. You know, I guess you could you could make uh an argument that um what the sonambulist, I don't even I can't even remember was it Cesar? Yeah, that, that's it. Yeah, yeah. At, that that he would be uh zombie like. Um, and then, of course, I love White Zombie. You know, I'm a big Bela Lugosi fan, so mm-hmm. I love seeing White Zombie in there. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I walked with a zombie and everything. So I liked it. I like that. And, yeah, the movie does sort of branch off into other areas of, uh, of, of like, I guess, the sort of zombie culture. But um, the parts that where they were talking to, like with the movies and everything, I think it, it was something. It was interesting. To, hearing um, George Romero talk. Uh, I just got this I, – and I, I throw this out there and let me know what you guys think about this is that I think one of the reasons why his, his current movies aren't really working is I think he's kind of disconnected himself from yeah. culture. Like yeah. he's just not paying attention to things anymore like he did in the old days. And as a result, his movies just don't connect. Like I remember something in Diary of the Dead I think where somebody had posted something online and it was almost like instantaneously getting millions of hits or hundreds of thousands of hits or something. And it kind of shows that he doesn't really know how that works. <laughs> you know, and it, there just seems to be something. And even sort of the way he's talking about how he doesn't even really understand the zombie. Yeah. You, you know, when he doesn't understand everything that goes along with, with, with the zombies and all. And I think it's he just seems to. And, and then it's fine. He's withdrawn. You know, he's retired. Um, but I think it would be kind of good to just kind of retire completely now and sort of give it up because I just don't think he has that. That's he's he just isn't he's not he doesn't have that connection anymore to, yeah, to make I, a decent movie. I agree with you. Uh, uh, his body language alone <laughs> right. in the interviews is he's he's kind of leaning back off to one side and kind of talking very casually, um, and that's always a trick when you're dealing with texts whose creators are still alive. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he's so dismissive about, ah, oh, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just making stuff up. And I don't understand why people love it now. <laughs> you'd think he would, uh, mm-hmm. you'd think he'd be a little bit more excited. Right. I right. mean, I, when there's a section where he and Max Brooks and another guy, I don't remember who the other, the third person was, or like on this panel discussion sitting on a stage. Yes. Yes, and they they cut back to that conversation several times throughout the film, and as I was watching it, those, those were some of the more boring parts of the film for me. And I thought, man, Romero looks really bored <laughs> by uh-huh. this discussion, yeah. and I just imagine how many of these sorts of discussions he's sat through in his life. And I, I'm sure <laughs> you know, it's like a band playing their hit song over and over and over again. I'm sure there's a point where you say, hey, I, I've got some new stuff. <laughs> You know, like, right. he, I'm sure he's just, I'm sure he's just, you know, disgusted. I believe, by the way, that, that, that was the zombie town hall meeting in Denver, Colorado, right? Is yep. that what yes, they call it? Was. it? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Were, were so you there? Kyle, did you I, go to town? I was not there. Uh, I, I never go to anything unless I'm invited. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's my selfish bitterness. No, but I can understand a little bit where George is coming from because it's like, oh my gosh, I get to go and listen to all these people tell me what I meant 
they get to t- they're going to tell me what I was doing. <laughs> and of course, the truth of, of Night of the Living Dead, and there is a good documentary on just that film out there. Uh, but the truth of Night of the Living Dead is they were just like making up stuff. They weren't trying to revolutionize a genre or reinvent a monster or change filmmaking forever. And so I imagine that if if anybody has heard, has talked about Night of the Living Dead enough, it's that guy. Right. <laughs> That's very true. Well, speaking of Night of the Living Dead, I'm glad you brought that up. There was actually a really neat argument, and again, forgive me for not being able to cite the person who says it in the documentary, but hopefully people will watch it and find out for themselves. But uh, here, here's a clip here I'd like to play real quick. You know, the milestone in zombie culture is the failure of the producer of Night of the Living Dead to renew the copyright. Because what that did is it put the picture in the public domain and meant that it was going to play on every cable TV station and every midnight movie possible. Anybody who had a videotape of that film could put it on their local television station and play it on Halloween or at midnight. And they did. I think that was Alex Cox. If it I'm was Alex mistaken. Cox. Yeah. Okay, yeah. good work. So Kyle, do you think that's accurate? Do you think that... Night of the Living Dead is what has launched this zombie craze today that we have. Well, yeah, in a lot of ways. But I, we have to kind of take into account that it wasn't, you know, we didn't see eight zombie movies in 69 or 70. It, it was kind of a slow development. And the current craze, uh, and I, I get criticized for overly simplifying this, but the current craze is as tied as much to 9-11 as it is to anything. But uh, the, the commentary there is accurate. A film like Night of the Living Dead would have never seen the dissemination it saw in 68 if not for those uh, those hiccups with the copyright. Because we're 68, we're not talking about a movie going viral or, or being shown online or being disseminated like that. It's the only reason it got shown so much is because it was free to show it, <laughs> and so right. everybody was showing it, and that's how it got on television. And a lot of horror filmmakers will talk about how they remember as kids staying up late at night, and Night of the Living Dead came on as a midnight movie or something. And so I think it is kind of a happy accident, which is unfortunate for George, but it got his film out there, uh, and it got it seen and, and digested and studied and. And so it, the foundation was laid for when all these 8 to 15-year-old kids grew up and started making their own movies uh, mm. that we could, we could see the zombie really kind of gain some traction. And, of course, the zombie we know and love today is as much Romero's zombie as it is any of the other versions. Providence. Mm-hmm. Must have been Providence. <laughs> well, let, let's talk about it. So you brought up 9-11, and there are a couple great clips in there. But since we have you live on the show, I'd rather just hear from you directly – Kyle, would you mind talking about how zombies have, especially since this Night of the Living Dead film, how the culture and the things that have happened in our world, how zombies have come to reflect the fear of those things. You do a nice job of it in the film. Thanks. Uh, at a very basic level, it's fear of death itself. Uh, and, and what makes the zombie such a great monster is that it's, it's death incarnate. It's not a, a creature that is suspended in the moment of death, which is, to me, I think that's a more accurate depiction of undead. So the undead is they're not dead. They're dead but not dead. Mm-hmm. And so you get these vampires who are eternally young and beautiful and sexy and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the zombie, which to me is dead dead, 
Uh, that's just, I think I'm the only one on the planet who doesn't consider zombies undead. Uh, but because they're dead, they're animated, but they're dead and they continue to decay and to, uh, pieces of their body fall off and you get the rot and you can, Fulci likes to put, you know, maggots on them and stuff like that. And so it's a creature that is very literally a reminder of what comes next. Uh, it's the memento more of rotting in the grave. And so, it, we're all afraid of dead bodies. So you, you just go to a funeral that where there's a viewing, and you know what I'm talking about. It's just there's there's a natural reaction to seeing death. Well, this is death that has is coming to get you. It's physically personified. It's it's mobile. It's an abomination against everything. And so, as we were confronted for the first time in in decades with images of death on the television screen, it seems logical to me that uh, the cathartic monster we would turn to would be a more literal manifestation of that fear. And then, of course, you get all the other great things about zombies that play into the post-9-11 anxiety. Uh, you know, fear of invasion, fear of infestation, fear of infection, so the anthrax scares and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then you also have these amazingly resonant images of apocalypse and uh, you know, money and paper flying in the streets or billboards that had missing people tacked up to it. And uh, all that kind of stuff converged in a way where people went, hey, that thing we were scared of 40 years ago is really scary again. So let's revisit that and let's see what kind of... Uh, therapy we can provide ourselves by exploring those types of narratives that's my take yeah that makes a lot of sense i love it and you said in the film i i don't want to like um speak for you or anything but obviously you said it's obvious that it started with um you know the vietnam war and the stuff that we were seeing on the screen but then you talked about how it was a, a siege an attack on the the value at home and the nuclear family could you speak to that yeah especially night of the living dead which is one thing I love about that film. It's it's so eloquent in its simplicity. Um, it's literally a, a bunch of people trying to attack the house, trying to attack the home. And it's it's telling that the victims of Night of the Living Dead are, are young lovers and two siblings and parents, fighting parents with their daughter. And so you kind of have all that stuff that's a direct reaction to the, you know, we'd kind of lost the illusion of the 50s. Uh, with Vietnam and with the civil rights movement and with the uh, women's rights movement. And so there is a lot of that stuff going on in Night of the Living Dead. And then what makes zombies great is is whenever you need a monster to allegorize our current anxiety, the zombie can do it. We're afraid of consumerism. Okay, let's put it in a mall. We're afraid of the Cold War. We'll set it in a bunker. Uh, we're, we're afraid of of uh, try, try to think what Shaun of the Dead is because they put it in a pub. <laughs> We're afraid of commitment and, and not being able and to get drunk go. with our buddies. So the, one of the, the premises of my, my new book is that the zombie is the perfect monster for whatever situation you want to address, whereas the other monsters are a little more limited in how they can be deployed because they're, they're almost too specific. Whereas the zombie, as we've seen, can kind of be whatever the director needs it to be, and then it can be whatever story you need to tell. Interesting. Somebody argue with me. Somebody disagree. I know. I'm waiting, <laughs> uh, I'm waiting on Josh. Like, Come on, Josh. Take me on. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, I just enjoy listening, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I was even on the podcast. I was just going about my Kyle, daily routines. He, you're so lucky. He disagrees with everything I say, and then he likes listening to you. How's that work? That's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I'll try to say him better stuff next time, Jason. <laughs> touche, touche. Well, I did have a question for Josh, which is one of the reasons I insisted he be on this podcast. Because, um, you know, Josh makes documentaries. So uh, for, as a documentary filmmaker, what did you think of this film? Um, you know, it's, it's pretty standard. I don't think it's, you know, there's nothing too exceptional in terms of, you know, forwarding that genre. Um, but it's, you know, it's also solid in its presentation. And I will say I'm not a huge fan of, uh, you know, the director's other big name movie, The, the People versus. George Lucas, and I don't remember exactly what it's called. Is that what it's called? That, that's what it's called. What's the What's the gist of that one, if you don't mind me asking there? It's just essentially saying that, you know, uh, Star Wars belongs to us, and George Lucas ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I agree with that's that. That's the thesis. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fun. I mean, I just don't love the, I, I don't love the presentation of that film. Um, and I feel like this one borderline is, sorry, borders on that a bit when, it has like the man on the street interviews at the beginning. I was a little bit worried or um, it, it's that same guy crops up two or three times during the film. He's like a comedian or something that directly addresses the camera. He's also the guy that's on like the zombie run and suits yeah. up in the, in the biohazard suit. Whenever that guy's on camera, I'm not too excited about the film. But um, are you talking about those awkward transitions where they try to take those comedic little breaks are you talking about that? Because that that was a negative I had. Is is that the same yeah, thing? Yeah, I don't. I don't always. I didn't always mind those, but um, okay. I just didn't like that that actor that they had used in those segments. That I, I at first I was like, is this the is this the filmmaker? And he's not. He identified himself as someone from a website, as a correspondent from a specific website. But um, I don't know. I just wasn't too enthralled with that. But anytime they were talking about either kind of the theory behind the films, you know, and it was Kyle basically, or, and, and some of the other people talking about that or with the production of any of the films. Those are the two things that really had my interest. Um, I was least interested in kind of the cultural impact stuff. I think some of it was really interesting, but I, you know, I, I just felt like they spent a lot of time talking about cosplay and things yeah. like that, that I didn't particularly care about. I, I would, I'd be more interested to hear, more about some of the other films, I guess. You know, that's the other thing. I felt like, you know, they did Romero a solid, but I, I felt like, and obviously it makes sense. I mean, he's the most significant filmmaker in the genre, but I, I'd still like to hear more from some of the other uh, filmmakers involved with the project. I, I enjoyed hearing from Simon Pegg. I enjoyed, especially Robert Kirkman, I thought was really great in the film. And I'd yeah. have liked to hear more from him. I would, I would have liked to hear more from Savini and um, – I'm blanking on his name. Sorry, guys. Howard other, Sherman. Sherman Howard. Oh, Nicotero. Oh, okay. Uh, Greg, oh, yeah, Greg Nicotero and Tom cool. Savini. I'd have loved to hear more from those guys, just about kind of more nuts and bolts production stuff because that's stuff I find uh, incredibly interesting as well. Um, but those are kind of the two two things that I really liked. Romero, yeah, he was a little flat for me. And I, I'd almost – if it had been me making the film, I'd maybe have – trimmed him down a bit honestly right. um because i do think his lack of enthusiasm detracts um from the overall flow of the film but mm-hmm. I, I was really impressed i feel like this is a big step up from uh, the people versus george lucas in terms of filmmaking i thought 
you know, this is a much higher quality film. So I was impressed by that. When you say it was just the two guys filming you, they did a really nice job with your interview in particular, but a lot of these interviews look really great. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm impressed that they did that with the skeleton crew. And uh, yeah, Yeah. I, I enjoyed it for the most part. You talked about, Birth of the Living Dead, I think, is what you were probably referencing when you were talking about um, yeah. a documentary just about Night of the Living Dead. We discussed that on uh, episode three of the podcast um, last Thanksgiving time. And uh, and I think we both liked that, Jason. Yes, um, we did. And, and, I, and I feel like I could, I could kind of cut my ultimate Night of the Living Dead documentary out of these two movies. I feel like if I took <laughs> both of these movies and cut out all the stuff I didn't care about and combine the things I loved about them, I, I'd have a pretty great film. And and they're probably a good double feature as well. Yeah, but. I'd agree with that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so what, the, what, the you... short answer is that I thought it was pretty good. <laughs> okay. Well, we, we alluded to this at the top of the podcast, but let's talk about Max Brooks. Man, yeah. I didn't like – honestly, that really – my opinion of him really fell from – having seen this film, I, I really enjoy world war Z the book. And, um, I think the film also does some interesting things and, um, was looking forward to his upcoming work. And I don't know, he just felt like he was kind of pandering to fanboys and not really talking seriously about the subject matter. Maybe he's just trying to be entertaining and that's cool and that's fine. But I was more interested in kind of this more serious <laughs> approach to the, to the subject matter. Yeah, he he gave me the impression, at least in this film, that he seems like he thinks he's really funny. That's uh, that's uh-huh. just, that's the impression I get. Oh, I'm sure it runs in the family. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was just going to say, well, you got your father's Mel Brooks. It's <laughs> well, you know, in that case, I would even think I was less funny. You know, but I don't know. That's just me. <laughs> well, he clearly he clearly knows he's kind of the the big game in town right now. Uh, I don't know if I would. If, I don't know if he thinks he's the heir apparent, but. He, he knows he's I mean, successful. Yeah, he is. He's very successful, and he and he's done a great job. I mean, I th- I don't I don't know if I've heard you talk about his work before, Kyle. I'd be curious what you thought of it, but I, I really enjoy World War Z myself, and I thought it was interesting by contrast how humble Robert Kirkman was, um, yeah. being the other guy who's really successful right now. Yeah, well, I I also like uh, Brooks's two books that I that I looked at, and and part of it, and you know, I'll, I'll include myself in this. He he lucked into what I lucked into kind of being the first on the scene and hitting things at just the right time. Yeah. And, and nobody had envisioned the kind of sprawling narrative that he had come up with for this like global war. Yeah. And so I'll give him props for that. Uh, I think what I would love to see if anybody with money would listen is I would love to see world war Z as a, as a series on television or Netflix. Yes. And, you know, give each week a, di- I mean, a completely different cast, a different location, a different scenario, and kind of I, uh, manifest okay. his, his little vignettes visually. I think that'd be cool. I don't know if I ever told you this, Kyle, um, and I apologize if I've already said this on the podcast, but a long time ago, and I have, first of all, let me say, I have no power or influence in the industry enough to actually pull this off. But I had a buddy who was pitching, uh, he had a zombie film set up at Lionsgate. And he was working on the pitch, and he was having me kind of read over the script and stuff and um, before he submitted the final uh, script to them. And The Walking Dead, the comic book, had just barely come out. Um, it was hot off the presses. And I had read the first issue. It had been recommended to me by a friend of mine who's a big comic guy. And I, it was similar enough to his 
uh, movie that I I thought, man, you should get the rights to this. Turn it, you know, because it, it already says in the first in the introduction, you know, this will never be a movie, but you know, it did leave open this could potentially be a television series. So I actually pitched um, to do a television series of The Walking Dead, but for the you would do a cold open each episode. And I was kind of um, influenced by a show called The L Word. I don't know if you, anyone's ever seen, uh-huh. ever seen that. I know of yeah. it. I know, I know of it, too. I haven't seen but they, it. they have these cold opens that show kind of lesbianism around the world at different time periods. And that's kind of like the, the, the cold open to each episode. And then they usually oh. typically don't go back to anything having to do with that. Or maybe it thematically um, influences the rest of the episode. And I thought that would be cool to take like a World War Z idea and you do um, these cold opens at the beginning of each episode and see you know, different times of the outbreak. But then you always go back to your main characters. Um, that would be awesome. Follow, follow the Walking that would, Dead storyline. That would be very interesting. So I, I, I pitched that to my friend, and he pitched it to Lionsgate. But apparently um, Frank Darabont had other plans already. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's room for another series. This Hollywood yeah. take note. <laughs> That's right. So, guys, this film... One reason I'm really grateful to Doc of the Dead is it directed me to a short film that knocked my socks off. There is a seven-minute short film from 2013 available on YouTube and I'm sure other places, and it's called Cargo. And oh, it's a fun, it's a fun film. Yeah, and they they show you know little clips of it in this film, and it was to the point that I'm like, I've got to see this. So I looked it up, and I'm telling you, listeners, you got to watch this. It was a big viral sensation a couple of years ago. Yeah, it, it had won a bunch of online film festivals and things like that. Yeah, that's tremendous, yeah. and and so I won't even give you the premise or anything. Just check it out. I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. It is definitely worth seven minutes of your time, for sure. Have you seen that one, Kyle? No. <laughs> you you will love it. I promise. I will watch it. I can <laughs> I can work seven minutes in. All right, buddy. <laughs> Okay, now, um, I've been wanting to ask you this, Kyle, for quite some time. And this might be a little bit of heresy for some zombie fans. I I consider myself a zombie fan, but I don't love, I don't always love the comedy in zombie films. And I know that's a a huge, uh, that has become a huge part of it. And so, in this film, they suggested that, you know, we, we see that come in and things like Return of the Living Dead. And in the 80s, it was a, t- a lighter time. The culture changed. It was a time of prosperity. Would you say that that's how we got comedy into the zomb- zombie subgenre or what? Well, yeah, but I, it's, I think it's a little bit bigger than that. If you look at the cyclical nature of cinema, decades or periods of high horror are usually followed by periods of parody and comedy. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so we had White Zombie in the '30s, but the first zombie comedy was really, uh, you know, there was an Abbott and Costello film, there was a Bob Hope film, the uh, the Curse Breakers. I can't remember, but but there are some really early comedy that play off of the voodoo zombie, and so it's it's kind of a natural part of that cycle. Just like after the Western kind of peaked out, you got Blazing Saddles. So, so it is kind of a natural thing. But if you just look at the film history, post-85, we started getting more, more romantic comedies. We kind of lightened up as, as the economy improved, and we got out of our, some of our more uh, spectacular international engagements. So it wasn't just horror movies that were wandering into the comedy or the parody. I think it was kind of across the board. Mm-hmm. That's when you had a resurgence of the Mel Brooks-style parody films 
uh, you know, hot shots and stuff like that. But so I, I do agree that that was part of it, that um, it was time for a more lighthearted period. And initially, zombie comedies didn't work well. And so that's why we didn't see a whole large number of them. Uh, Return of the Living Dead is fascinating to me because I think it works on both levels. But the sequels go pretty much just for camp and silliness. And there's this awful, my boyfriend's a zombie. And there's all kinds of stuff through there. But, but yeah, was, according to genre studies, it, it was going to take another big global national trauma to really catapult horror back into the serious vein, mm-hmm. uh, which we got, which we got. But, you know, it's now been over 10 years, and things are looking up, and, and we're getting more hor- uh, comedy, and we're getting more romantic comedy with zombies. Uh, it's getting more lighthearted. It's getting marketed to children more. And as a horror right. fan, that, that makes me sad. Right. <laughs> Although I think, that obviously, the recent trend of comedies goes, as Shaun of the Dead, it was so, you know, hugely successful. Yeah, um, and I think that's what got a lot of because I mean it's it's a lot of the independents now you see tons of zombie comedies. I mean I was when I was um, doing Horror Jungle there was a screen we got I think it was called Bong of the Dead <laughs> that was like a, a straight up uh, comedy not a good one but yeah but but it was a comedy and unfortunately most of them are not very good. You know, I should, well, I don't. I haven't seen too many independent um, zombie movies, and actually, I've seen a few that were actually not bad. Um, but there's so many of them. I mean, I think someone even made a comment in the movie that right now there are people out there <laughs> shooting a zombie movie. There's plenty of it, but honestly, um, and and maybe I know that some people don't consider. 28 Days Later, a zombie-type movie, but even an infected movie like that, I love the deadly serious nature of that. That movie is genuinely scary to me. and um, yeah. So I, I, ho- I hope we get more things like that a- again. I mean, I hope we get more intense, high horror, as you call it. I like that, Kyle. Yeah, yeah it's interesting, though. I mean, I don't, maybe I missed it. Did they talk about why that next explosion happened? I mean... You had 28 Days Later, Dawn of the Dead remake, Shaun of the Dead, and The Walking Dead all come out within about a year of each other. It's pretty crazy that that all happened at once. Yeah, I mean, you can. I think there's a good metaphysical answer that was like the stars aligned and everybody was thinking on the same level. Because that's what we always have to remember is 28 Days Later resonated with a post-9-11 audience, but it was in production before Mm 9-11. So it, Mm -hmm. it was already coming together because I think with the video games, we're starting to become more narratively complex. Resident Evil was having a lot of success that in that vein. Uh, some of the fan stuff was starting to emerge. And so there was something culturally coalescing that was not simply reactionary. Uh, and then the, the, the cynical Marxist in me says that once two or three zombie movies made a lot of money, then it was over. Because uh, right. now, now everybody's like, oh my gosh, a zombie movie is super cheap to produce. And we're going to make tons of money after we do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's like the found footage now. Right, yeah. because Blair Witch made, what, 8,000% profit? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Something ridiculous like that, yeah. Yeah, so, so we started seeing imitators and copies. And that's where we need to be careful because that's when quality suffers. And uh, zombie movies have always been traditionally low budget and kind of low production value. And that's why I love that we have these handful of really polished films but the question is are we going to maintain it so what's the uh 
you know, what's the iZombie TV show going to be like? What's the new Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie movie going to be Man, like? That actually looks incredible. I, I never thought I'd say that about an Arnold Schwarzenegger film, but that <laughs> looks really, really good. Yeah, Are you interested in that at all? I am interested in it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because I think that, um, I think, you know, I'm not saying big budget Holly, main stream Hollywood is where we need to be watching, but it does matter. You know, that, that means that there's enough interest and enough backing, and these are films that are going to make it into every theater in America. Uh, and yeah. so we need to kind of see what the trend nationwide is and globally is. And so I, I'm going to watch it. And it's coming. It's still coming out of the independent world, but you know it's got Abigail Breslin in it as well, and it's yeah. kind of has a, big, a good pedigree. And a lot of these films, you know, that we are labeling as indie in this conversation are kind of these no budget, cash yeah. grab kind of movies. There's a higher level of independent film I feel like coming out as well that you know Shaun of the Dead was on par with, and I think um, Life After Beth is one that I saw at Sundance uh, last year. That's coming out in theaters next week and I, I feel like these movies are going to be interesting to kind of see how they're received oh yeah i'm going to be watching very closely so that schwarzenegger movie for the listeners out there it's called maggie and i guess it's uh, going to be screening at the toronto international film festival in september right that's what i have here so that's true yeah. and i'm not sure if it's part of the after dark series or not probably so but if it's not, then that actually means that it's a pretty well regarded by the programmers of the festival uh, as a serious film. Well, I have, I have high hopes. All right. Uh -huh. Me too. Well, before we wrap this up, because I don't want to go too long on our review, but um, I just want to say I think people should definitely watch for uh, Simon Pegg and Howard Sherman talk about how the, the nuance of the zombie performance in this film. And I love that clip when they talked about how, and they compared it to Karloff's Frankenstein's monster, you know, like that was, uh, that was beautiful. That yeah. Section. Yeah. So that, that's tremendous. I actually have the clip here, but I, I kind of, I don't know. Part of me just wants to just let you see it in the documentary. And I, I hope that that'll tease people to watch the film. And then one last thing, I, this ends with a cool little song. They have a lot of, pop culture zombie stuff in this but there's a song by stephanie maybe it's called the zombie song and i was just totally loving it <laughs> as the end credits roll on this film and when it was over i emailed stephanie maybe right away and i said hey do you care if we play this your song on our podcast at the end <laughs> you know so they can hear this so at the very end of this episode Stephanie maybe gave us permission to play the entire zombie song. So you'll hear that after, nice. our, after our outro. And I thought that was really cool. So check her out at stephaniemaybe.com. It's M-A-B-E-Y. And there's even a free download. You can download a free MP3 of the zombie song for yourself there. So uh, let's wrap up with our just final thoughts and our ratings. And I'll just uh, kick it over to you first, Wolfman Josh. All right. Well, I I enjoyed this. Um, as I said, it's it wasn't like groundbreaking cinema or anything, but I felt like you know I, I really enjoyed the content and it, it looked nice. It was you know it was a solid presentation. I particularly liked um, the interviews with Simon Pegg, Tom Savini, Greg Nicotaro, Robert Kirkman, and of course you know Kyle Bishop. I thought you were the best part of the movie, man. So mm -hmm. congratulations! Oh, thanks, for that. man. Thanks. <laughs> I, I could have done with a few more movie clips and a few less, uh, you know, cultural moments, but those parts seem to kind of drag for me. But uh, particularly that town hall meeting, man, they came to that 
came back to that uh, far too many times for my taste, but but I did like it, and I would recommend everybody check it out for sure, especially since it's streaming for free on Amazon and Netflix right now, and probably Epics as well since it was made for Epics. Yeah. But yeah, I'd give it a uh, I'd give it a six and say it's a it's a definite must watch for zombie fans, and I think pa- fans of this podcast actually, in particular, will appreciate um, the types of discussions that are going on in the documentaries. Absolutely. And uh, what do you say, Doctor Shock? Uh, no, I, I liked it. Um, I liked the, the the discussions of the movies as well. Boy, I, di- I didn't realize, you know, uh, uh, Doctor Walking Dead, you made a good point about the uh, the Italian. Uh, zombie movies being ignored and there were so many of them yeah um that had such a big impact i mean uh, you fulci yes definitely but and, and there were other ones as well where um I, but it, interestingly enough i didn't i didn't notice that as i was watching the movie and i guess that's sort of a good thing uh in a good thing in the filmmakers uh favor um, but with the cultural things, I, I had known about the, um, the zombie walks and, and things like that. So I, I guess I wasn't as interested in those sections myself either. I'm gonna, actually, I'm going to come in a little bit higher. I'm going to say seven and a half. I say it's definitely worth, uh, checking out. And I don't think, is this available for purchase? Like on DVD? It, it is or? not. There is it's no not, DVD no. yet. Okay. But no, I'm going to say it's a seven and a half. I did enjoy it. Uh, I liked a good number of the interviews. Obviously, Doctor Walking Dead, and uh, it was Alex Cox. I'm trying to figure out why he was there. Yeah, I was thinking about that too. Everybody seemed to have some sort of connection, but I couldn't figure out what his was. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's it. I mean, his insight about the, uh, and maybe that's maybe that's obvious to guys like Kyle who who study this, but his insight into the reason Night of the Living Dead was able to. Yeah, be seen by so many people was really um, an yeah. interesting revelation for me because I had never considered that. Yeah, yeah the, I think I think what it was that what did they do? They copyrighted the name, uh, what was it, flesh flesh eaters or something along those lines, and they and then they changed the title of the movie and didn't. Is that how it happened? Uh, yeah, they changed the title on the footage and didn't put the little symbol up. So for the for whoops. the cop, right, right, yep. <laughs> Which is BS, right? I mean that that yeah. should have never gone down that way, but whatever. <laughs> right, I guess it's just a technical thing there, but no, I'm. I say it's definitely worth checking out. I'll give it a seven and a half. Okay, yeah, for me this is a definite stream, and I give it an eight out of ten. I actually love this documentary quite a bit. And I think that it's uh, tremendously insightful. Even even though it's like very basic, it's like a Zombie 101. As Josh said, uh, I still think it's a, a great little primer. And so anybody that loves zombies, I think will enjoy it. I know Midnight Corey. I, I was emailing him about this, and he said he loves this film as well. And so um, and and Kyle genuinely. You were my favorite part as well. Now, that may be because I know you and I'm such a fan, but I loved it. So so I think fans of this podcast should definitely watch it just to see Kyle just hit it out of the park there. So um, once this is available, I'm actually going to buy it. So I'd, I'd say buy it once it's on DVD and Blu-ray. Yeah, I'd uh, say that as well. Yeah, kind word. Yeah, I, I won't rate it because I'm in it, uh, but I will disclaim that I don't see any money from this film whatsoever, so I'm not trying to promote <laughs> that side. But I think, you know, it, I think it's good as far as given the basics, and it's entertaining, and there's some clever stuff in it. Uh, so I do recommend everybody go out and stream it and watch it, and uh, 
you know, people who are organizing comic cons and horror festivals and film festivals, I'm really easy to find. Uh, if anybody wants me to come uh, do stuff. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> no, I, I, the other thing I thought was interesting with this movie is how it's – I kept thinking when I see, you see the people dressed as zombies and you had the zombie wedding, uh, you know, and, and uh, Bruce Campbell. They wanted Bruce Campbell to officiate at the zombie wedding and, and the father shows up with this uh, like impaled – um, and, and just just the way everybody you know with the zombie walks and everything, it's almost like the the Trekkies, you know, yeah. or Trekkies, whatever it is now. Except opposite ends of the spectrum, you know, the the Star Trek fans are looking for the utopia that Star Trek promises. You know, the no racism, the the you know no more governments, just just pure um, you know like exploration and and trying to broaden yourself. Whereas on the other side, it's it's more like apocalyptic. You know, and looking at the world that way. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And that's what I was getting at. You know, what I was getting from it when I was, especially that wedding. You know, that's really bizarre to have Bruce Campbell do it. I mean, I've I've heard recordings of him at conventions and he really is uh, a wise ass in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, funny. I mean, it's not like, you know, I can see him rubbing some people the wrong way, but that's sort of his personality. So it, it doesn't really bother me, but I don't know that I'd have him officiate at my wedding. <laughs> I've been kind of googling around trying to figure out what Alex Cox has to do with zombies. And I did find a book that he wrote called 10,000 Zombies. Oh, well, there um, you go. Okay. Yeah. So maybe that maybe that has to – That's that's got to be it, yeah. So, Kyle, just for the record, um, you know, since you're available every other Friday – you know, we we have a podcast. You're always welcome. We love having you here. I know the listeners like it too. So thanks for making time to join us on this podcast episode. We're grateful. And and Kyle, you want to tell them where you're going to be showing up here in a couple months in October? We we did a recording already. You want to tease? That? Yeah, we we uh, I got to be on the show to talk about the original Halloween from John Carpenter. So we're looking forward to that airing. I think we had a really great conversation about one of the best horror films ever made. Absolutely. Okay. Well, Kyle, will you let the listeners know where they can follow you on Twitter and find your book? I am on Twitter at Dr. Walking Dead, uh, Dr. Walking Dead, because of the PhD obnoxiousness. Uh, <laughs> so I've been trying to be a little better at tweeting and working on building a, a following base, but I'm just so bad at it because I'm such an academic. Uh, but school starts Monday, so it's going to get spotty. And um, I am working on a second book for those of you who kind of liked my first one. Hopefully I'll get this second one out and you can check it out. Um, but keep me posted on what you're doing. It's the podcast isn't the problem. It's watching one or two movies a week that I sometimes have trouble with. Gotcha. Uh, but, but when I'm going to a horror movie anyway, I'll certainly jump on and talk about it. Love and it. So Great. love to be <laughs> you back make on. Your students all follow you on Twitter that you're going to, you know, you're going to post the movies they need to view on Twitter or I something. Know. There that, you go. That just feels dirty. that's great all right well kyle thanks for being here tonight and you have a good night thanks for having me yeah all right thank you take care so just two little news items here i mean you you've seen we've talked about it on the site already we had the the death of marilyn burns which is very sad i know dr shock Texas Chainsaw Massacre is your all-time favorite horror film as well. Yeah. And um, that that was a super bummer. It was. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a shame to hear because she really was one of the 
first and best uh, Scream Queens. Just never, I guess, getting that title because she just never uh, didn't appear in as many, I guess, well-known movies or, or, you know, other than to obviously for what I consider the greatest of all time. But and she really did capture fear perfectly, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a very tough performance um, to just it must have been draining. I mean, as you pointed out in, in your excellent write up, um, you know, just what she went through physically. And I remember hearing in the in the um, commentary on the Blu-ray when she's running from uh, Leatherface uh, after the scene with Franklin, you know, where she's putting, then he pops out and surprises them <laughs> yeah. that she was really scratching herself on these thorns and these and these, uh, you know, as she was running through the woods. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was it was really that's guerrilla filmmaking in a lot of ways, and okay. uh, the fact that it came together the way it did. I think is impressive, and I really – I always remembered how she was talking about how she really hated – was it Paul Partey? The guy who played Franklin. Mm-hmm. Everybody on set hated him because he stayed in character. That was sort of the way he was when, when he was acting, and, and he was – and uh, we know how – we've discussed it before how Franklin is, how annoying he was. And she was just saying how she couldn't stand him, and then I remember she said she met him years later at a gathering, and, and they became very good friends right up to the point where he passed away. So I, I, I would recommend, if anybody doesn't have the Dark Sky Blu-ray, get it. There is a commentary track on there with members of the cast, including Marilyn Burns, uh, that's very interesting. But yeah, it was uh, it was very shy. It's been a very surprising, uh, very shocking week. Yeah. Uh, ways you know i mean um with marilyn burns and then um obviously robin williams and uh um just today i learned lauren bacall not as surprising i know she was up there yeah yeah but still you know i mean it's uh it was it is when i was younger i mean that's and you know the movie she made with bogey there were a lot of class but for me key largo was my favorite i love key largo Yes, and and I thought she was excellent in that, and uh, you know, with the, the very, not even a big role in that movie, but I thought she did a good job in that. Yeah, so that's another one. I, they say it comes in threes. Well, there's three right there for you. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, thanks, Doctor Shock, for your words, sure. and yeah, and I appreciate the people who read that little tribute there. Um, we have a tribute at horrormoviepodcast.com that I wrote, and love it if people check it out. The uh, second news item then. And this was really bad news to me. Uh, The Green Inferno, Eli Roth's movie, was scheduled for a September 5th release. And we learned that that has been postponed indefinitely. This kind of ticks me off. I'm I'm really really upset about this. According to DreadCentral.com, you guys can let me know if you have anything up to date on this. But see, there was open road films. They've postponed it. And what happened was their financier, Worldview Entertainment, they were upset with ex-CEO Christopher Woodrow's commitment to provide the P&A, the promotion and advertising for the film. And Open Road confirmed to the site that the release of the date is scratched but had no further comment. So this guy decided he wasn't going to provide the, the money for the P&A stuff. He quit. In kind of a surprising manner, people uh, they were surprised that he by his resignation. It was kind of sudden. Okay. And so then, in a scramble to kind of get everything in order, probably for the stockholders or something like that, but in, within the company, 
the new lady in charge started, you know, making some big slashes uh, to their budget, and Green Inferno apparently was one of the thing, films that took a hit. And for those who don't know, Josh, in order to release a film, I mean, the prints and the advertising or promotion and advertising is a big part of it to help get the word out and etc. And if you don't have money to do that, then it's just useless to even release it in theaters, right? At that point, without I mean, that it's money. The, it's the only benefit to having a distributor as opposed to being an independent film, really. So, you know, I mean, that's the big benefit is that people are going to hear about your movie. So, if you don't have that part of it, you might as well be keeping all the you know self distributing and keeping the money yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And so Eli Roth tweeted. That, that this news was true, and he said that everyone is working to solve this ASAP. He said, thank you for understanding. But guys, I'm super bummed about this. And, and you know, as of this point, this is an indefinite... I mean, I'm sure we'll eventually get the film, but who knows when that'll be. I mean, do you, th- do you guys think that somebody will pick this up relatively fast and maybe we'll still get it in October? I mean, what I've heard is that Eli Ross trying to buy the rights himself, and they're going to do a straight-to-DVD release now or something. Wow. Would that really hurt his um, revenue versus what he might have made if it were released in theaters, Josh? I mean, yes, for the film's take. But again, if he's, you know, getting to keep all that money himself, then who knows, you know. And he He might make more, you know. Oh, this, the streaming market and the home uh, video market is big enough. I mean, it's, it's really actually, it's actually. Yeah. I mean, so there are some movies that bombed in the theater and became cult classics on video. Mm-hmm. So and this probably won't be popular with horror fans. But the movie I'm really worried about is Birdman with with uh, Michael Keaton. That movie is going to be impacted by this worldview thing as well. Yeah, so oh. I'm scared. Yeah, that trailer is very <laughs> interesting. So, and I love Michael Keaton, but yeah. yeah. So anyway, all right. I mean, this movie well, has this played. Is- this movie has played several times already, obviously, because it's. It looks like it just played at the Fantasia Film Festival in Canada on August second. Yeah, it's done film festivals, but it hasn't done. Uh, you know, it hasn't had a true I, release. Right, right, right. Worldview's Although been. It, they're like a did. legitimate company, though. They're not like a little fly by night organization. You know, like they did. Um, the Square, which maybe won Best Picture at the Oscars last year, was definitely for our Best Documentary. It was definitely um, nominated. They did the Sacrament that we've talked about <laughs> ad nauseum on the show. Uh, Killer, <laughs> they did Killer Joe. They did uh, David Gordon Green's Just Joe. Um, they did The Immigrant that came out recently. So they, they're doing big movies, and you know, I don't know. It's gonna have it's gonna have some big impact, I think, on these films. That have, they've got like four or five films that haven't come out yet that. They're going to be negatively impacted by this. So maybe Eli Roth should have put Joe in the title and they would have taken care yeah. of it. Okay. The Green Infern, Infern Joe. Joe's <laughs> 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 Green Inferno. Nice one. I like that. Okay. Well, here's the thing. You know we're going to watch it. The horror fans are going to watch The Green Inferno. It's a cannibal movie. It's Eli Roth. I'm there. As soon as that's available, I'm going to watch it. And I'm going to mm-hmm. review it on this podcast. You guys with me on that? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Funny when I um when I saw the news about it, you know, it was like a little headline that had been clipped due to the internet, and it said "Worldview woes take Eli Roth Amazon Cannibal Tale off the menu." 
And, um, I, for, you know, I didn't realize that worldview was the name of the company at first. Um, and I thought it had something to do with like the Ebola outbreaks in Africa. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> being pulled. Oh, That's rough. Awkward. Okay. Well, Wolfman Josh, where can the listeners catch up with you? I'm on Twitter at Icarus arts. Um, that's the main way to catch up with me. Uh, and also, uh, check out movie podcast weekly. If you're interested in movies that aren't, all horror. Mm-hmm. Yes. What about you, Dr. Shock? Well, same place as always. DVDinfatuation.com is the blog. Uh, at DVDinfatuation, all one word, on Twitter. And I'm on uh, the Land of the Creeps. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, there were all of us got together. It was it was uh, uh, Double H, uh, Greg Amortis, and uh, Jesse Robbins, who's actually uh, writing for Fangoria now. Um, got together, but uh, in an interesting twist, we discussed the uh, Mad Max trilogy. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, so, and that was a lot of fun to um, sort of go back over those movies again. Um, so, and that's going to be our next episode coming out. I want to say, might even be this Wednesday. I think we might have recorded that one a little bit later because I was on vacation, so it might be coming out uh, this Wednesday, but it definitely should be out by the time this episode uh, airs. Nice. Yeah, which is this Friday. So isn't it true that that uh, Haddonfield Hatchet, Sean Davis, played Master uh-huh. Blaster? <laughs> uh, yeah, but which one? Was he Master or Blaster? I know. <laughs> I love that. I love that char- those characters. That's just so That's, great. That was, that was, uh, that was interesting. We had, we had quite a bit to say about, about uh, that particular movie, too. I would like to see Wolfman Josh. In the ring, fighting Master Blaster. Yeah. <laughs> With the tie down and jumping all over the place, yeah. Well, as we found out in uh, in Dock of the Dead, werewolves are, are the jocks of the, <laughs> the monster <laughs> community. So you can handle it. That's yeah. right. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we thank you for being here, and uh, I hope you have a good night. Thank you. Thank you. You too. (laughs) All right. Take care. Talk to you soon. (laughs) Goodbye. Bye-bye. Just a quick administrative note here. I promise to keep this less than 60 seconds. Time me. We've had some listeners ask how they can donate money to support Horror Movie Podcast, and I appreciate that more than you know. This podcast is free, and I hardly ever ask for donations, even though I pay for this show out of my own pocket, and trust me, it is expensive. You can donate to Horror Movie Podcast by going over to moviepodcastweekly.com, our sister site, and by using the PayPal buttons in the sidebar. All donations there go straight to my bank account because I personally finance both podcasts. And with our Halloween extravaganza coming up in October, that'll be a big extra expense for me because that's a lot of extra content that needs to be stored online. So please support Horror Movie Podcast and our Halloween episodes by donating at moviepodcastweekly.com. Use the PayPal buttons in the right-hand sidebar of the website. Thanks for your support. Okay, this is really weird, but right now, it's after midnight. It's like 12.26 a.m., and I'm sitting alone inside a car on this street in Moundsville, West Virginia. Uh, The car is the quietest place I had for recording, and I didn't want to awaken anyone inside my Necromomicon's house. That's right, I just called my mother Necromomicon. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it's dumb. But anyway, 
There's this weird little white church that sits right beside my mom's house. And they have this big cross out in the front yard, and it's lit up with lights. Now, here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. I'm a Christian and everything. I'm a believer myself, personally. But there's something very strange about the look of this church and this cross. And it's kind of creeped me out the whole time I've been here. It's almost been like the setting of a horror movie or something. And I know that sounds terrible. I'm sorry. But anyway, it's really interesting to sit and record content for Horror Movie Podcast as I stare at this glowing cross in the darkness (laughs) in the car like a weirdo. At this point, I'll move into my feature review of Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Tonight, on the CBS Saturday Night Movies, this gentleman saved this little girl's life, but they accused him of harming her. Do this ourselves. And he was... Now, one by one, the men of this town are dying. Who is his Avenger? Is it the mother, the little girl who loved him? I know what you did to Baba. Or could it be the Scarecrow? Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, coming up next... Okay, I've been planning to review this movie for the past six months or so, and then after talking about Husk in our previous episode, I knew it was time to revisit this movie. I should also note that the dude mentioned it in the comments for episode 22. You read my mind, brother. Now, the dude mentioned it as a double feature recommendation along with Jeepers Creepers 2, and I wholeheartedly agree with that. Now, Jeepers Creepers 2 is another movie that I've been hoping to talk about one of these days, partially because it has some siege narrative elements, and you know I love that stuff. So, for those who don't know much about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, it was actually a TV movie that premiered as a CBS Saturday Night movie on October 24th, 1981. And yes... That was actually a Saturday night. And you could hear that from the trailer that I played for you there. But if you've never seen this movie, I think that I should prepare you for it with a little bit of context. Now, for those listeners who aren't as old as I am, maybe you haven't experienced this particular phenomenon before, but there used to be a number of late-night TV movies on various channels, and I suppose there still are. But there was just something about this era of the 70s, and for me, the 80s, when you'd watch these movies on TV. It was special. And to those of us who are 35 or older, there's an undeniable nostalgia associated with movies like this. So I'm going to acknowledge that up front. I'm sure that my favorable review of this, in part, is influenced by that kind of nostalgia. So we are talking about a made-for-TV movie here, as I said. So I can tell you right now, right up front, that you're not going to see anything that's hardcore in this movie. In fact, I'm sure there are those who would argue that it's not a horror movie at all. And it really is more of a mystery slash suspense slash thriller, if I'm being totally honest. But I consider Dark Knight of the Scarecrow a horror movie because it is indeed a slasher flick. And just to be open with you about that, there are probably those out there who would even argue that this movie is more of a proto-slasher, perhaps. Maybe even more so than a full-blown slasher. But either way, you've got this mysterious, unknown killer 
presumably a masked killer, who is picking off and murdering evil wrongdoers who did something very bad to someone else. So what does that sound like to you? That's right, slasher. Now that leads me to the premise. I was careful to edit that CBS promo trailer that you heard because I think the trailer and what most people consider to be the premise itself, I think that already reveals too much about this film. I mean, if you read the premise there on IMDb, and by the way, especially if you read the trivia on IMDb, man, they have spoilers there, so do not read the trivia on IMDb before you watch this movie. I just wanted to give you a heads up on that. And anyway, part of the horror of this film, to me, is the first major development that occurs after the inciting incident. Now, I realize I'm being irritatingly vague here, so let me get more specific without revealing any spoilers. Dark Knight of the Scarecrow opens as idyllic as it possibly can. In fact, the only other horror film that opens so sunny and happy that I can think of right now is Cujo, because it has images of that playful, fluffy St. Bernard frolicking in the flower-filled meadow, chasing butterflies and rabbits and stuff. It's hilarious. So you get that same kind of feel from the opening of this film. In fact, this movie looks a ton. It looks exactly like uh, the setting for the Dukes of Hazard. So, I mean, this movie is basically set in what appears to be Hazard County, although that's not exactly right. I'll, I'll talk about that later. Anyway, the first point I want to make about Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is that it opens kind of like a Lifetime movie. So if you pop this in, just be aware that it does have this really warm and um, saccharine <laughs> quality to it. This is very weird, though, to me, because there is a juxtaposition there. You've got some creepy music that kind of cues you as a viewer to know that you should feel uneasy about this. And, and it does work. And so it gives you this too-good-to-be-true scenario. You know it's too-good-to-be-true, and that makes you worry and have a little bit of dread. Now, there's this uh, girl sitting in the meadow. She's a little girl. She's playing with flowers. And her friend, who is a full-grown adult man who is evidently mentally challenged, he's a special needs type of person, and it appears as though he's as gentle as a lamb and completely childlike and innocent. Well, maybe this didn't play the same way back in 1981, but now that we have a more cynical world, a more evil place filled with pedophiles everywhere, uh, maybe it just affects a modern viewer differently than it might have back then. But we immediately get this John Coffey Green Mile vibe here, or like a Lenny Small of Mice and Men, or Carl Childers of Sling Blade, or so many other stories that involve a differently abled, special needs, challenged individual who will be misunderstood as a monster and dealt with monstrously by real monsters who are masquerading as normal men. You can see that I wax poetic when I'm in my home state of West Virginia. So you know right from the beginning that an accident is going to occur and the event will be misunderstood and this misinterpretation will lead to tragic repercussions. Hasty and swift justice. 
So, once evil men do their evil deeds, they are preyed upon one by one until they are all brought to justice, and we are never quite clear on who or what exactly is executing this justice. And that's really one of the strengths of the film. Now, there are lots of things wrong with this movie. It is not a perfect film. First of all, I'll say it's not very scary, but it seriously is creepy to me and a little unsettling, and that's... It's hard to explain. It may be an association. It may be nostalgia. I mean, I could see someone like my friend One Sick Puppy watching this and just eyes glazed over falling asleep because, you know, he's pretty hardcore. He likes to watch hardcore horror. And although he does appreciate film and cinema, you know, I could see him being totally bored by a movie like this. Maybe he likes it, but honestly, I doubt it. But I would call Dark Knight of the Scarecrow a good, mild horror movie to start off kind of a younger fan with. Like, maybe somebody who's, like, 12 years old, you want to show them something creepy, I think it will definitely resonate and stick with them. Now, another weakness of this movie, there is a young dog. It's obviously a puppy, you know, like a year-old tops that does not look very threatening. And in this movie, this dog is supposed to threaten a girl terrible casting on the dog okay so i'll just say that right there and despite the the very good and engaging opening there's a huge lag in the middle i mean this film really sags in its pacing and i think that hurts it but i would say that it's well made i mean there are some great match cuts which you probably heard me in previous podcasts i i really tend to appreciate something like that like for example in one scene we see a scarecrow hanging you know, and then it cuts to another scene where you get a skeleton Halloween decoration hanging. And by the way, I will say this film occurs at Halloween. There is like a Halloween night in the course of the movie. So that's always good to know because if you want to pop in some movies that actually take place on Halloween, it's the weirdest thing. But there aren't a ton of horror movies <laughs> really that take place on Halloween. So yeah, you do get a number of really good transitional match cuts, which I always appreciate. I think that's super cool. And even though Bubba, who is, he plays the, that's the character's name of the disabled person, even though he's seen as the threat or the pedophile, there's actually a real pedophile in this movie, and I mean among the characters, and he is underscored as such, and it's kind of ironic. I think that's a nice touch. And that actually reminds me that, I mean, this film goes to some really dark places, and even though it is a made-for-TV movie, and even though there's nothing explicit in it in terms of gore or violence, Dark Knight of the Scarecrow... I mean, it has some concepts that are disturbing, for sure. And so, it definitely gets creepy at the ending. That's the creepiest part of the movie. It's kind of freaky. I tell you, when I revisited this the other night, again, in West Virginia, I was in this upstairs <laughs> upstairs room in my mother's uh, rocking chair. I was watching it there, and I could see this freaky little church with the glowing cross out the window, so maybe that added to it for me. But I don't know. Um, I think for many horror fans, especially younger ones, I could see you not appreciating this movie. I won't hold it against you. And I could see if you don't get what all the hype is about, you know, I understand. Because this is a very slight horror film. But I still think it's noteworthy. To me, 
Dark Knight of the Scarecrow from 1981 is a 6.5 out of 10, and I give it that based on its creepiness, and I say this is definitely a rental. And just a little P.S. there on the trivia, uh, this film is set in Bogan County, and this is actually a fictional county in Arkansas. Um, and what's weird about that is there was also a Bogan County portrayed in a movie called White Lightning. Interesting. There is a making of documentary called Bubba Didn't Do It, and that comes along with the Blu-ray for this film, I believe. So I think you should definitely check that out. And once again, don't read the IMDb trivia before watching this film because it has major spoilers. Okay, moving on. So as for listener feedback, we're grateful, as always, for all your contributions to the comments and through social media. Thank you so much for writing and getting involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. We're really proud of that. Also, we're grateful to receive another iTunes review, and this one comes from Girl Horror Fan. She gave us 5 out of 5 stars, and the title of her little review there is called Absolute Must Listen. And she wrote, I recently found this show and have been really enjoying the episodes. All of the hosts are intelligent, and the reviewers are well thought out. I work in a cubicle, so I love longer episodes. The 8-hour show was pretty epic. She's going to be really ticked, I bet, that this episode is only like... (laughs) probably shy of even 90 minutes so i'm sorry about that girl horror fan and the part where she said all the hosts are intelligent she's probably going to redact that when she hears me call my mother necromomicon (laughs) i don't even know why i keep bringing that up i think it helps me to not feel creeped out sitting in this car alone in the middle of the night talking about horror movies Anyway, we want to thank you very much for writing that review. That helps our podcast the most when people write iTunes reviews. Okay, and we also got a voicemail from our friend Eric from Long Island, and I'll play that now. Hey, guys, it's Eric from Long Island, and I wanted to tell you two things. One, I love Alice. Love it. It's a great movie. So I wasn't dissing Alice Sweet Alice, and uh, it was a shock to hear my voice in my earbuds while I was working. And so it was a pleasure, and keep up the good work. Thanks, guys. Eric, I want to thank you for that voicemail, and here is why you have mentioned Alice Sweet Alice once again on Horror Movie Podcast, or you've enabled me to mention it once again, thereby giving me another chance to encourage people out there to check out this excellent slasher flick from 1976. That came out the year I came out of my Necromomicon. (laughs) I'm sorry. That was totally awful. Okay, this movie here is formerly known as Communion, but now it's called Alice Sweet Alice. From 1976, as I said, slasher, as I said, it features Brooke Shields in her very first role as a young girl. It's excellent. It's freaky. So anyway, if you like masks in your slasher movies, I just want to say that this one is notable because of how unlikely it is that such a mask would be scary. And there is something very cool done with masks in this movie that, um, you know, I can hardly remember any other examples of. So definitely watch Alice Sweet Alice. For me, it's a 9 out of 10. I say buy it. And thank you for your voicemail, Eric. You're the best. So listeners, if you'd like to hear your voice come through your earbuds 
on Horror Movie Podcast, then you can call in just like Eric did and leave us a message at 801-382-8789. And if we get five voicemails before this next episode, then I'll never say Necromomicon again. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. It's it's late. On that note, that just about wraps up episode 23 of Horror Movie Podcast. I know this one was short. I know you're ticked off. I know the sound was poor. I know that I've been ridiculous. But I assure you, this was a freaking David Copperfield magic trick to bring you this episode this week during my travels in West Virginia. But thanks for your patience with me, everybody, and thank you for listening to this episode. I also want to thank my co-hosts, Wolfman Josh, Dr. Shock, and Dr. Walking Dead Kyle Bishop. Thanks for helping out this week. Seriously, do me a favor, since Kyle will not hear this part of the episode. Go on to Twitter, listeners. His Twitter handle is at Dr. Walking Dead, Dr. Walking Dead, and tell him, like, hit him up, like, reply to one of his tweets, whatever he's writing about. It's probably Walking Dead or something. Just, <laughs> just go in there and, and tell him how much you enjoy hearing him on the show. I know we have a lot of fans of Kyle, and, you know, just encouraging him like that, honestly, that will help motivate him to come back. He seriously loves to talk about horror. He is a true fan. He is a student and a scholar of horror. And I think we need more chatter like that to help us, um, what to help all of us understand the genre better and to appreciate it more. So let's get Kyle Bishop on this podcast more. He is the official fourth host and it's an honor to have him. Now, I love all my co-hosts, and all their plugs will be in the show notes at HorrorMoviePodcast.com, which is our website, and that is the same place that you can find all our past episodes, including our archives of the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis. And you know from experience that we don't mess around on those shows. Now, you can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast, and you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. I love it when you do that. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And I think that's it for episode 23. Thank you for listening, and join us again in two weeks for Horror Movie Podcast where we're dead serious about horror movies. Our love story could be kind of gory Far from boring We'd meet at a post Apocalypse be slowly walking in a group stalking you you'd be the only man alive that i could not resist then all of your friends they'd try to kill us but only because they'd be jealous that our love is deeper than edward and bella's oh if i were a zombie i'd never eat your brain i just want your heart yeah i don't want your heart I just want your heart, yeah, oh
your heart, I just want your heart, cause I want you. You'd be hiding in a second floor apartment, knocking all the stairs down to save your life from the undead. Double barrel shotgun, taking out the slow ones, then you'd see the passion burning in my eye. And I'd keep my head. Then all of your friends, they'd try to kill us, but only because they'd be jealous that our love is deeper than Edward and Bella's. Oh, if I were a zombie, I'd never eat your brain. I just want your heart, yeah, I'd want your heart, I just want your heart, yeah. Love this deep won't stay.